growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. What's up? You're back once again on the cheat code. We've got with us today, Mr. Sangram Bajre, who probably needs no introduction. And then I'll go ahead and give him one anyway. One of, you know, just a figure who has really been, you know, just that a figurehead within B2B, within go to market across numerous different uh, companies. And, you know, has, in my opinion, one of the most inspiring backstories out there. So, Sagram, welcome to the pod. Uh, really great to have you here today. I get to see you again. And uh, if anybody's watching, like this, we're all wearing black. So we definitely, that's right. And I mean, I'm wearing blue. Again. I'm wearing uh, in revenue capital blue. Give me, give me a break here. Dark blue. <laughs> so yeah, for, for those out there listening, I am of course Justin Graham, joined once again by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Josh Wagner. Hello. Um, so Sangram, how do you? I guess first and foremost, let's kind of give listeners a um, an overview of what you're up to now, and maybe a bit about the journey that uh, that got you to where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, a best way, uh, somebody shared this with me, like, you know, one of the ways to summarize my entire last 15, 20 years is in three acronyms, uh, which I'm not sure is that a, is like a compliment or it's kind of a <laughs> nudge on uh, how I think about stuff. But uh, I ran marketing at Pardot that got acquired by Exact Target and Salesforce, so marketing automation. So the first acronym is MA, so spent a good amount of time there. Uh, then, you know, build Terminus. Uh, all around ABM. So that there you go. They're your second acronym uh, for the last eight years or so. And we had a private equity exit out of it. And then uh, in 2019, I wrote my third book on go-to-market called Move. And that launched the go-to-market research and advisory firm called Go-to-Market Partners. So that's the third acronym, go-to-market, <laughs> GTM. So MA, ABM, GTM, and that's my background. Should we call that maturity? <laughs> Everything in B2B has to be summarized by an acronym. So it's, it's, um, it's fitting. Yeah. So, you know, again, like, I don't want to, I'd rather you just kind of tell the story, but like, you know, I, I've spoken with you in the past. I think we've had you on, on different podcasts in, in the past as well. And I just think the, the story, obviously kind of the, the immigrant story, the, you know, building through entrepreneurship and, you know, how I frame it is, you know, the ability to see opportunity and, and ultimately say yes to things. I think a lot of people kind of come with a no mentality, but you've got kind of your own terminology for this. So just walk us through, you know, your cheat. And then I'd love to get into how that's kind of manifested itself. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, the way I phrase that for myself is just becoming intentional. Many times I've recognized that we can be in too many things, in too, too many places and trying too many different things. But anything that I found success, even the fact that I could summarize a 10-year, 15-year career in three acronyms probably points to the point that you're opportunistic about what the next move is, but you're very in intentional around what the storyline is for it. Uh, and once you have that, I feel it allows you to just have better bets. I'm, I'm, I'm learning that anything that I do, if I'm intentional around it, it just have a massive outcome. Um, I could do 50 different things 
uh, we all had to get to a certain point in our lives and careers where you could probably have four different things going on. And we probably need that for our brains, to, some of us, for our brains to operate. Um, but the area where it has an outsized impact are the areas in life, personally and business, is where you're just intentional about that one thing for a period of time. Somebody said to me some time ago, Justin, that, well, you know, it's really like when you when you put your, your mind to something for even a couple of years and not be distracted by anything, but just for mm -hmm. a couple you're going to end up becoming the expert in that. I mean, you get your head out of the sand from that for after two years, you're going to be like a decade ahead of everybody else because they all sprinted in so many directions while you stayed on course for those two years. That might seem long, but that's really not too long when you accumulate amount of time and uh, everything that we put out in, in the business world. You know, I think people generally have a hard time creating things, right? It's one of the hardest things to do. But when I think about your intentionality, it, it's brought you to just create stuff, right? Like you created movements, flip my funnel, like these things, they, you've created things that just people don't do. So how do you harness that? Like, how do you say, okay, I'm intentionally focused on this thing. And then what is that next? How, how does it lead you to that next thing? Because I think you created some incredible movements in your career. Well, th thank you, Josh. I think the the big area when when I think about even flip my follow and that movement was it all always starts with desperation, <laughs> and it all starts with I wish I could say cleverness. I love that man. I was brilliant. Like no, it, it all started with desperation. So be honest about that. It was like okay, we launched Germanus, and here we are, three co-founders in Atlanta. Nobody knows us. We don't have a lot of money. We are actually figuring out how do we find just one desk and one laptop to launch our startup because you don't want to buy two laptops, right? So that's how you start. And then I reach out to all these people to say, would they sponsor a Terminus event? And they say, no, why am I going to sponsor a Terminus event? Like, you know, you're launching, good for you, but not good for us. And, and then that's desperation. That's pure definition of desperation. And then you go back and then look at it and say, I reached out to them after buying this domain called Flip My Funnel uh, for $8 and reaching out and saying, hey, how about each one of you are keynote at this say, industry event where we're going to have all of you keynote at this event and all you got to do is show up for this one and they show up, they pay for it and, and we have 300 people that attend the first one, including the competitors in the marketplace. So in many ways, I think the best ideas come out of desperation, to be honest. Yeah, so with that you know, concept in mind, like, let's take it all the way back to begin to the beginning. Cause like I mentioned, like, I, I love kind of your, your origin story of sorts. And so, and I think it fits right in with that, that concept. Cause I think the number and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, is like 350 bucks yeah. really in your pocket. So like walk us through, you know, to Josh's point, how you walk into an environment and like out of utter, I have to make it happen yeah. and manifest something. Yeah. It's, it's in many ways, like, if you walk in life where there is no plan B, it's, it's really how I think a lot of times as an immigrant, you kind of have to think about it. So when, when I say so not, not, not to interrupt you, but like, do you think that that is a critical must have? Because I talked to so many people and obviously the, the absolute, the tendency is that I, they want to have a plan B, right? Like it's always like, Hey, I'm going to dip my toe in the water. Like, do you think that that's critical? Like, do you have to remove all other options? The audacity, I talk to founders uh, a lot of times who like want to do startup or want to be founders, want to be startup. And they're like, Hey, you know, I'm trying this thing. 
And I tell them upfront the audacity for somebody to say, I'm going to just go ahead and try something for the next three to six months while I'm working 40, 50 hours a week. At the same time, there are a couple of people out there who are working their tail off. They are working so hard to, to make ends meet and figure things out. The audacity that you think you'll be able to leapfrog all of that and be able to have a successful startup while you're doing other things is, is, is a fallacy. It's not going to happen. So, the, and, and there is obviously that one exception that everybody wants to talk about, but the reality is that's just not possible, especially when you're kicking something off. You, you have to put everything into it, almost like pour your soul into it to, to birth something as a, as a company and a startup, given the odds of, of not working. So even going back to that point, and when I came to India, not knowing that, I'm a, that entrepreneurship is going to be my, my path, you know, I had $350 that came to, uh, to the States for my master's from University of Alabama, which, uh, which, which, is, which is a culture, culture shock uh, for somebody to come from India to, to Alabama. Uh, I just want you to picture uh, an Indian guy walking uh, on the streets of Tuscaloosa, Alabama with a broken English, trying to figure out all the different great. Sort of language barrier of, of Southern uh, way of doing things and talking. It was just like crazy. I'm looking around to figure out how do I get some sort of uh, assistantship or something to pay for my semester because I had a loan for the first one. And I found they, the, 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 that in, in every university, apparently, there is a department called critical languages. And okay. you find that if you go into critical languages department and you identify that there's a new language that you can teach, you can turn that into a course or a class. And so I ended up finding uh, kids who had American kids who had Indian uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. And if you get three people to sign up for your class to teach Hindi, um, I would get my entire citizenship paid for. Wow. So I persuaded them to like, you got to know each other's languages and native. I didn't even know how to do all that, teach all that. And once we, I persuaded them to sign up for this course, so you get to spend more time together, you know, you get to do classes. Like I did all kinds of sales at that moment and, and they did sign up. And then I bought uh, on Amazon at that, even at that time, I bought the Hindi book of how to teach Hindi because I didn't know how to teach Hindi. I've never done that. So it all started with like pure desperation. Like I had no plan B, I had no choice. I had to make it work. And uh, I was finding a way to do this. Dude, that's incredible. So Sorry. you uh, taught this course for how long? And it got how many semesters paid for? The whole four oh, years? Uh, the whole two years for master's. The whole two years. Two years all four semesters. Um, I literally had like literally three hours of work uh, because that's all it was per week to teach. And it paid for my entire two years of bed. And since then they had other languages because other people started to figure it out. Uh, but it, 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 that's it. That's it. If you one would might say that's a loophole in every you know university, or one would say that man that's like okay well if there is nothing, then how what do you do? Like you you find something like that's what you do. Right. Did you create any long lasting love stories? Is what the people really <laughs> want to know. Well, you know, it one was awkward because they broke up in the after <laughs> but they had to carry on to the one on one dual one level. So I had, I had some of the patchmaking, uh, matchmaking elements to it. But again, in University of Alabama, they're not like a whole bunch of Indians walking on the street. Yeah, sure. So this was such a small, in our B2B world, TAM, 
to go after and in a segment to go after but it was like the niche like there's nobody else would do it and and that was the opportunistic it's like really intentional like all right i can work at a gas station i could do this but there's no way it's gonna pay whatever was my semester fees the university has to find a way to pay for this so I had to find something in the university was, so I had to just reduce the scope of things I could do and then started to look for what was possible in there. That's incredible. Well, I don't want yeah, to derail the whole show, but I do have a question, Justin, sorry. You know, how, how does an Indian kid end up in Alabama? I always <laughs> wonder this, like when I think about, you know, I went to Arizona State, which is a massive school, bigger than Alabama even, and we have tons of immigrants come there and it, it kind of makes sense. It's a big like yeah. research university. It's a big party school. Yeah. yeah, it's a big party school. But, you know, I think my perception is most other cultures, they think of the United States, they think of New York and LA and like, that's it. Nothing else yeah. exists. So how do you end up in the Southeast? Well, I mean, it's the answer is again, desperation. Uh, I think Got that's it. the theme of it. Uh, so when you apply for a, through a GRE exam to do masters um, for, you know, for, for any of the universities in the US, you know, as you finish your test, they gave you four options based on your sure. test score and stuff that are free applications. Um, so I had a choice if I could use the 350 bucks that I'm going to have for the application or a free application. And one of those universities was the University of Alabama. I had no idea. I didn't even know where in the map Very nice. Alabama really exists. So I'm like, I'm going to that one. So that I, just I love it. Bucks and I showed up. Not All right, Justin. The thing is, it's none of my stories are glamorous. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. All right, Justin, no. get us back on track. I, no, I took this off the rails. They're focused, right? And so, all right. So, like, let, let's literally walk through this. So, like, it's next step. I'm always interested, like, B2B marketing, to Josh's point, like, in terms of, like, how people think about things. Like, when you think about marketing, everyone, you know, I talk to kids. I, I sometimes adjunct teach uh, at ASU. And, you know, when people talk, they talk about Snapchat, they talk about TikTok, you know what I mean? Like they talk about Frito-Lay and Pepsi and, you know, consumer brands. So how, you know, B2B marketing, how did that come about, right? Because, you know, obviously Pardot was right in the center of, uh, of that whole thing and super early in the marketing automation space. I actually remember evaluating Pardot like in 2000s. Seven, two thousand eight, somewhere in there, and so like, what, what, why that jump, and you know, like, how does that intentional, intentional, um, you know, theme kind of carry on through there? Uh, well, as I answered that, you you triggered another thought for me. Uh, from an intentionality perspective, I'm I'm only on LinkedIn. You mentioned about TikTok, Snapchat, and all of it. Like the only too. place I'm on is LinkedIn. Twitter, I used to be, I don't even know if I have, I know my password on Twitter. Hopefully you know yet. <laughs> You've been hacked. Uh, <laughs> There's a fake Sagra running around. Here. Yeah, I, I think there might be. Uh, like in, in Snapchat and, and TikTok and I looked at it, but I that goes back to intentionality. I just they thought like, well, if you're going to be in B2B, LinkedIn is probably not going away. Like that's probably going to stay. Everything else is going up and down. And yes, you could figure something out, but if I want to build a long-term relationship, followership, and and a brand, then I have to pick one and not five. And I still see it like laugh right now. People are like, oh yeah, you can just cross-promote everything everywhere. Well, you're everything everywhere with zero followers and zero yeah. likes, zero engagement. And so yes, you are everywhere, but you are nowhere because none of it is con contextualized with the environment that you're in. And you all know, we all know how hard it is to make sure that what you're talking about is aligned with what it is, 
how hard it is to be consistently posting something of value for your community to be able to engage. So all of that takes intentionality. So you just triggered that thought because somebody was like, well, I'm trying this and this, so I think I can do that. I'm like, yeah, you can do everything, but you end up having nothing. So that's that's back to intentionality um, around it. The other part of how I got into marketing was, you, you know, I got my first job, uh, even that one was like through Deloitte, like Deloitte hired me because the only person who applied to work for Deloitte was so from a master's program was me uh, when they came to the university because everybody applied from bachelor's because they only paid 48, 42K or something like that. I'm like, I don't care. I can sleep on the floor. <laughs> Having a Deloitte stamp on my, mm-hmm. well, no, your master's, right? You, you should expect 65K or 60K or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. So the only person who applied for a Deloitte job was was me and I got a job at Deloitte, which was like shocker uh, for, for most things. For, for, for me, it was like the best thing that happened that kicked off an understanding of how do you work in the business world. So that gave me a lot of experience in the consulting work for the first couple of years. And then I had a couple of other jobs, but there was a time when I worked for a company where I was supporting the marketing department and helping them launch websites, helping them launch another set of things. And I'm like, whoa, you can actually change revenue and emotions uh, on how people are engaging with you literally like this. You could change your website, you could change your call to action, you can change your messaging, and you could change buyer based on the buyer behavior. Like all these things were so new to me that you can immediately have an impact in something. So that got me super excited. So I was like a, a director or something uh, for an IT operations uh, company I took another leap from there and I became an analyst, like a business analyst, like a like a junior analyst who in the marketing department because I just wanted to learn marketing at a startup. And I did that for uh, six months or so and they made me the director of strategic marketing uh, because all I could do was like new ideas. I didn't care where the end, like I just want to explore. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's why I love startups though. You can, you know, yeah. one day you're an analyst and the next day you're the director of strategic marketing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, just what job you want. And they just changed that into, and again, the compensation wasn't like, you know, 10x great. It allowed me to just experiment, do tests and try new things because I said, I'm going to figure this thing out. Like that's part of what, what, what we all do. Um, and that got me into marketing because I felt like that part of ability to immediately change something in the marketplace that can have a lasting impact uh, is something that I just don't know any other field does that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I'm thinking about you, you've, you've taken all these steps that you've intentionally said didn't have a big paycheck yeah. associated to them. So there's something about that because you certainly created outsized outcomes for yourself in your career, right? But there were things that you did early on to gain experience, to, to get in there, to get in the door, to learn, to analyze, to be curious. H- how do you, and I know you've, you've mentioned desperation, but I think there is such a sense of entitlement coming out of school or maybe you get this gig. So the next gig needs to be better. Like, how do you have that long-term view of using this to get there instead of, I need this paycheck now? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it's definitely has worked out uh, uh, for me. Uh, what, what I feel is, that when I think about a career for, for, for people who may be starting off, like your first 10 years is just finding yourself. You don't know what you're really good at. I didn't become an actual entrepreneur until I was 36. 
So I came here to the States when I was 25. And then for the next 10 years, I just tried all these things. I wasn't even in the ballpark of entrepreneurship for the first 10 years. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to do good work. I just wanted to see what am I capable of. And and that's all it was. So if, if he could... If one could take a step back and start looking at like the first 10 years or so of your life is uh, working life is to just figure out and look and see and say yes to things that you are totally uncomfortable with, but it might help you move. And if there's something that gets your attention, then go in it and, and launch yourself. Forget the money part because the first 10 years you can afford to do that. After you get to that first 10 years and then you figure out, oh, this is what I'm good at. And people tell you that this is what you're good at. For me, it was a moment where they said, man, you're really good at storytelling. I'm like, I don't even speak proper English. Like if you read any of my LinkedIn, it, it has typos and all of it. I don't even write properly. I don't know how many, I, without an editor, I wouldn't even be allowed to write a book, right? Like, so all of these, so, so this thing is, but I'm a good, I'm, I'm good at telling the story. I'm good at bringing people into the story. I'm good at helping people see themselves in the story. So somebody told me that some time ago, and that made me recognize that, okay, that's what I need to do more of. But I wouldn't know if I wouldn't have tried it. So if we, one could uh, take, the, take the chip off their shoulder for the first decade of their career and life until they figure out some people, it's some, for some it might take 40 years, who knows, or some it might be two years. But if you take the chip off your shoulder and say that it's not about me, I just want to figure out who I am then I think there is a chance for you to have an outsized impact in whatever field that ends up becoming. Yeah, I think that, so I was talking to someone the other day who mentioned, uh, you know, when he was 50 some odd years old, right? Like went back and did, you know, a, a really deep dive, a candid deep dive into anyone uh, that he had worked with or that had worked for him. Like, what, how do you think about me? What am I good at? Um, and I think that perspective that you mentioned is, is, is so critical, not just what do you think you're good at, right? But like, how do other people view you? And, and, you know, when you come to mind, what is that, uh, that skill set that's just, you know, predominant there. So that's super critical. So, but in terms of the ABM, you know, focus and, and really terminus, which I believe that that's kind of, you consider that your first entrepreneurial. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think terminus was true. Well, before terminus, I was that guy who tried to build a startup on weekends and was trying to figure that part out. And I realized that I spent three years working weekends and other things that it just wasn't going to happen. So I had, a, I had to have an honest conversation with my wife for terminus. Like, if you're going to do this, I end up plunging a hundred percent. That literally meant, and she wasn't working at that time. We just had our second baby. Um, that just, that just meant that you need to go get a new job. Like, you know, that, mm -hmm. that I had that conversation and I'm so grateful that she gave me one year. She said, you got one year in one year, show me this thing as legs. Otherwise you need to go find a real job. And that was super important for me because that's what, you know, if you really look at what happened in the first year of Terminus, we wrote the first book, we built, we did like four flip map funnel uh, conferences. Like nobody does four conferences in a, in a year, in the, especially in the first year, especially with no funding. Like, how do you do that? So, but for me, I didn't have a plan B. If I want to be an entrepreneur and if this was my ticket, I had to try everything in that first year. If it didn't, I had to go find a real job. I didn't have a choice. After that, because I could see my wife was working uh, hard. We had another gen and plus kids. I mean, clearly women ends up taking the brunt of it. And I was seeing that happen um, over and over again. And I like, like, I have to figure this thing part out. So I had, all I had was for the first year. 
So was that idea born out of the Pardot journey then? Uh, you know, like when you talked to John Miller, like his you know journey with Marketo was like, hey, I, I see this doesn't work for, you know, a, a very predominant go-to-market motion. Is, is it the same kind of story through the, the, the Pardot lens? Well, twofold. It was one was uh, Terminus was started before I joined as a co-founder. It was about six months prior to me me joining them as a co-founder, and it was a bit of a different focus as well. Correct. Very different focus. Both the co-founders they're focused on B two B advertising, like that's what. So I saw them as a, at a startup, and what ha- at, at, at Atlanta Tech Village when they were doing a pitch, and I saw them what the pitch was. Uh, but it, the reason it attracted me was because when I was at Pardot, in the second year of it, uh, we, we hit every record out there in terms of number of leads. Like that was the big deal. I and mean, like 30,000 leads in a, in a month or something like that. We're high-fiving everybody around. And then my sales leader comes to me the next day and says, Sangram, you and your team did a great job. That's awesome. Uh, we just need 3,000 more leads starting next month. <laughs> and I just fell off my chair. I'm like, what are you talking about? We just gave you the record number of leads. Like, what do you want? Because that's all I knew to do, and then mm-hmm. did. And he's like, "Yeah, but you know, we we need more leads. We have a bigger quota, and you know, he showed his spreadsheet and all that." And that was the first time I was like, "Why? Why do you need eight x pipeline? Why don't? Why can't we keep the pipeline? Right? Why? Why are we not doing? We're at Salesforce. Why are we not looking at this and doing more cross sell upset?" He's like, "Yeah, but you know, you just give me eight. I mean, at the end of the day, he, I mean, I'm telling you what I want you to do. Like, you know, you to get on the." And I realized that I was a nothing but a coin-operated lead machine. Right. That was the feeling I caught out of that conversation. I'm like, all right, there's got to be a better way than just producing leads for my sales counterpart. And that really led me to explore, explore what's possible. So when I saw what Terminus was doing, what they were doing, B2B advertising, and I'd literally spend a day with them uh, after that pitch and say, guys, what we're talking, if you could do this at the account level and they took a minute and they're like, yeah, we can do that at account level. We can do this. And if you can show this dashboard and we even wrote on the whiteboards, B2B advertising, right? Account-based advertising. That was the mm-hmm. first idea. And then it morphed into ABM. But that's really what brought me to the idea was, again, a really desperate moment uh, where my, my sales leader is saying, you just got to give me leads. That's your job. Go do your job. And me recognizing that that's not the job I want to have for the next two years. Yeah. So then to your point, like you essentially went on a road show with you know the split by funnel concept which i think is was absolutely genius like there were so many people well not not a ton but like you know three or four core players in the space at that point trying to all evangelize around this topic and and like you guys really you know activated that through that flip my funnel conference which i think a lot of people you know well some people didn't even know there was like a software component behind it it was just you know these guys are evangelizing this new go-to-market strategy so you know what what gave you the confidence to to kind of go all in on that as the go to market strategy there? Well, there was no choice uh, for us. It was no choice. Was no I lost choice. this consistent thing. <laughs> <laughs> there was no choice. If you really looked at what I had one year to make this thing work, so I didn't have time. So that that was a desperate moment right there. Two, we're based out of Atlanta, no funding at that point. We just have basic level of funding uh, to get going. So that's two. And three, we're talking about an entirely new concept. Like, who cares about us, like, bidding in Atlanta and saying that we want to do something in the marketplace that changed? So the only way that I could think of, and I could look back and now and say, oh, that's a genius idea, but it wasn't, like, at the moment. It was the only way I could bring 300 people in one location talking about one idea and seeing if we can turn that 
out of those 300 people, some into our customers. I just didn't know any other way. We didn't have money like HubSpot to create an inbound engine and, and create like those, all things were too long of a, of a way to get to the customer. So when we did the first event, which cost us, us at, at Terminus at that time, $0 because everybody else paid for it. Um, and we were a booth just like everybody else. And the first event, we sold 25 deals. Hmm. Now that made us like, okay, well, let's do four more, right? And right. we're going to pay for it. And so it was started. And then by the time we got to the fourth one, we were, we didn't realize this, but what we ended up having was owning the narrative in the marketplace around ABM because people knew that we were behind it and they were coming to us saying, all right, we hear this is the problem. We can see it. Yep. Flip funnel, fun, makes sense. We should do it. Well, what do you do? And and that was a yeah. better conversation than, hey, picking up the phone and calling like, hey, we're a B2B advertising company. Like we do that. Like it, it was it was just a, a better way of having conversations. So we did not even hire anybody in marketing at that time. We had one person who was fully dedicated to flip my funnel for the entire year. We had zero marketing budget and we have zero terminus marketing thing. We didn't, we, me and Fed, we built the, the website over the weekend and that's all it was. We didn't even change the website for a year. The entire marketing, entire go to market was flip my phone because we were closing 25 deals every time we did it. it it's so like, crazy. You, you talked about controlling the narrative and I think you did, right? And you eventually got to what one of your monikers was ABM is B2B, right? Yeah. And I kind of think that's where we landed. I mean, all that, I don't know, Justin, how many years were we doing ABM projects for, for our clients at LeadMD? Maybe a good five-year run. I was going to say six, seven years, you know? Yeah, yeah. But now, I don't know that anyone's just saying ABM. I'm, I'm going to do an ABM project. It's like, hey, we're going to do a project. We have these target accounts. We have this, we have that. It's all wrapped in there. And I feel like you did control the narrative to like, it crescendo to listen. This is just how you go to market. It's it's part of the it's part of the program. It's not special. Yeah, it it. Did. I wanted to make sure that did happen, and I'm so grateful that I did get the opportunity to pen it, saying ABM is B two B period, uh, because I felt like the, I could see it that this is not going to be a long lasting trend. Like this should be how acquisition, platinum velocity, expand everything should be run this way. Because we are a B2B shop. Like we are not selling Nike shoe to any and everybody. There are only so many people who could buy and expand with us. Um, and then that led, I think, with another gift I feel that I had over a period of time that 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 I, I learned to accept and and lean into. And that's part of, I think, what, what becoming intentional is all about. Lean in, accept the gift that has been given to you. A lot of times I, yeah, no, like, no, this is your gift, so do it. Like own it and, and live it. So one of the gifts was just try to look into the future a little bit. And in 2019, when we wrote about go-to-market, not many people were talking about go-to-market at that time, or especially not as many people are talking about it right now. So it, it allowed to, the next thing is like, well, I don't want to be sitting on the same ship. So another big lesson for me is, okay, you invented something. You got to be part of something great. Now, again, take the chip off your shoulder and then stop like being like the person who said, I did this and, and move on to the next thing and see what's the next uh, Everest looks like for you. Um, otherwise, you could just be sitting there saying that, look at what I did 10 years ago. I don't want, never want to be a person who looked back and saying, look what I did. I always want to be the person, hopefully we all want to, is what can we do next? What's the next level looks like here? Yeah. Yeah. So the, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I mean, being looking forward and being humbled is certainly something that uh, Justin and I can relate to at this very moment. We think we created something pretty cool at LeadMD, but here we are in startup land. 
creating a new brand from nothing uh, and being venture capitalists <laughs> without being venture capitalists, uh, humbling to say the least. So we get what you're saying. Yeah, but that that's also something that is, I think, hard for a lot of people to do. And I, like, even it's one of those situations on like, hey, why are you doing this again? Right? Like, like, I guess you you mentioned humility there, and you know, also coupled with the the concept of, of intentionality. Like, have you looked back at all to to try to devise why you're able to apply that humility so effectively? Because I think a lot of people after they've had wins. You know, and certainly when you don't have to like worry about, you know, where the next meal is coming from type of situation, it's hard to maintain that hunger. But there are people out there, you know, like yourself, that could just say only what goes forward matters, right? Like, do you attribute that to anything? Like, is that something in terms of how you're raised? Like, what, what's the yeah. kind of input there? Well, uh, a big part of my life that changed uh, in the last 10 years, especially because that's not how I always thought about it. Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, is my faith. Uh, I feel like that really did allow me to realize that I'm not God. Right? You know, I think it's, it's, well, it's a good, good realization for all of us. <laughs> you know, w w once you build something, you feel like you're touching everything and it's turning into gold and you feel like, oh, it's I'm, I'm unstoppable and people are like, oh, you did this, you're awesome. And and. And at a, for a moment, I was there. I was like, man, look at me. Like, I got this. I'm run. I like, I look at me. And and I feel like God humbled me very quickly. I was, at a, you know, shared my wife. And I've shared about this. It's like we were on the verge of divorce in my second year at Terminus. Because I got, I got so full of myself that it was like, I didn't even know what I was walking in. And my wife is like, well, I don't even know who you are. And it's, it was a reality moment for me to check my ego at the door and recognize what's going on and how I'm treating the people that are closest and the most people who actually did the most sacrifice for me. Um, right. That led us into a faith journey that led us to recognize that I'm not God. Like it's not me who is. And I need to attribute my success to a much higher power than myself. And when that happened, I feel like that changed the way we're thinking. So that's why even with go-to-market partners, we're looking at it saying, this is something we want to do for a decade. Um, it's it, in, a, in a previous life, I would say, I want to be the one on the stage showing all the OS and showing all the thing. And if you come to any of the road shows, it is the team who's showing that. And it has led to not building Sangram here, LLC. Like, like, like that is what I've ended up becoming. And actually build a company that is around people, around values, around what we want to do. So there is a lot of upbringing and the immigrant mindset around the fact of looking forward. But if I'm being dead honest about it, I think faith has probably more than anything else to do with it. That's great. And so, yeah, let's let's kind of come full circle here. Like, what what is the idea behind go to market partners, and ultimately, what what's this you know latest path gonna gonna look like? Well, yeah, we have taken the a really opposite route of uh, of what people do. Like people don't go typically from a prod building product companies to services. So uh, we're yeah. that route, uh, having raised money to like not raising money. So I think you all can relate to a lot of those things right now. Um, and the idea was, well, Serious Decisions Topo, when they got acquired in 2018, we feel like there's a void left in the marketplace of what is the new framework, how to think about it. And going back to the gift of what, what I have, and I feel like what Brian, my co-founder, has, and so the people on the team, we're really good at building new models and frameworks that will help people think about the future. 
And if 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 I've done anything uh, or learned anything from the work that I've done is that ABM was ahead of its time, and it we were allowed we were we were we we're good at building a community around it, a movement around it, as you said. So if we if you're good at that, what will it take for us to lean into that? So what we built with Go to Market Partners is a research and advisory firm, uh, which is all about what's happening in Go to Market, specifically aligned with Go to Market. We are creating new models, new frameworks, and new research with our partnership with Mbara, G2, and a lot of data providers. And we're giving that to the marketplace, working with B farms and 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 some go-to-market companies. And then the second part of it is we are we are actually going to license our frameworks out to as many fractional leaders and agencies out there who want to take that and teach that to their own customers, so that our impact is is go further. We don't want to build a big company of 300 people. We want to move to 10, 20 people, and and see if we can have. 20, 30 agencies and fractional leaders who can take that framework and help thousands of other companies out there. Amazing. Well, congrats on all the success. We really appreciate having you on the show. But before we let you go, I've only gotten down to you don't have a CS problem on your shirt. So I've got to understand what the, the full payoff is on the shirt you're wearing here. All right. So it said you have a marketing problem. You don't have a sales problem, CS or product problem. What you have, let's see if you can read it. You have a go-to-market problem. There it is. Indeed. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect payoff. <laughs> yeah. So my marketing automation, my ABM, like all of them was about fixing marketing problems, fixing marketing and sales problems. But I feel like what I've learned is that what we have are go-to-market problems. So let's fix it. Not in the department. If we did, we would have stopped talking about sales and marketing alignment, but people are still talking about it. <laughs> but clearly we cannot fix that problem that way. We got to frame it differently. And that's what we're doing. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining the show, uh, Sanger. We appreciate you being on. It's good to see you again, and congratulations on the next chapter. We're certainly excited to hopefully partner with you on some of that as it moves forward. For those of you, if it's your first time listening, make sure you find Sanger on LinkedIn. He's out there. Trust me, it won't be that hard. Uh, if this is uh, your first time listening to the show, please give us a like, a comment, something like that. Help us spread the word. For Justin and Josh, this has been The Cheat Code. 